When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, it's me, Sam Baker. And before we go on with the show, I want to tell you about an exciting new initiative coming from The Shift. Many of you have asked how you can support the podcast further and get more shift into the bargain. Well, now you have the opportunity to do just that by joining the Shift community. You can go to steady.media forward slash the shift and become a member of the Shift. In return for supporting the podcast, you'll receive exclusive weekly newsletters, community membership and plenty of other perks aimed at bringing us all closer together. That's steady.media forward slash the shift. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. My guest this week is one of the most enduring movie actresses of our generation, by which I mean my generation, obviously. Minnie Driver made her first film, Circle of Friends, in 1995 and went on to follow that with a lead role in Stanley Tucci's gorgeous ode to Italian food, Big Night. An Oscar-nominated turn in Goodwill Hunting and my personal favourite, gross point blank. Now 52, with a 13-year-old son, Henry, and over 50 roles under her belt, Minnie is still doing Hollywood very much her own way. As well as two albums and a podcast, Minnie's Questions, she's now written a memoir, Managing Expectations, a book that's about how things not working out inevitably led to other things working out. My mama always used to say that. She was like, take that shit, like take it, and you turn it into something else. Like there is always alchemy possible. Minnie joined me from her LA home to tell me why being called outspoken makes her want to punch walls, overcoming the curse of other people's expectations and her own, why she always felt like a failure for not being married, how getting fired never feels any less unjust, and has things to say about why Hollywood dudes can be creased, but women can't. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I was reading an interview with you earlier where you said, um, with your podcast, oh, there's no tarting around with what are you promoting? And it really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do feel like it's cut to the chase, you know, always. I was just interviewed by this really nice girl. I find journalists are always really nice. And then their pieces can often not be really nice. <laughs> Because there's something that happens in the synthesis of passing a human into print, particularly someone who's maybe well known. But she, she said, you know, you're known as being quite outspoken. And I have to say, it is a trigger word for me in a way that makes me want to punch walls. Really? Because I just, 
don't ever hear that term applied to men. Women are outspoken as if there were a level above which it is outside of some kind of norm, you know, as opposed to just being articulate in what you think about the world. It's the word difficult as well, isn't it? It's like, I don't think I've ever in my life heard a man described as difficult. No, never, ever, 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 ever. In my industry, it is, it has ruined women's careers. I mean, it's definitely affected mine when that has been applied to me, for sure. You refer to it as the Scarlet D in the book. Mm. Tell us about that. That was, you know, very early on saying no to an experience that was, you know, nowadays the reporting on a young, you know, a 21-year-old woman being ushered into a room that was full of men with their jackets off at watching her pretend to have an orgasm while eating chocolate and leering and making comments and sort of heckling from the back. Like, you wouldn't believe that. Like, I wonderfully, I don't think that would happen these days, but in this chocolate commercial where they wanted to emulate the scene of Meg Ryan having an orgasm and when Harry met Sally, I did it once and it was so embarrassing and strange. But then they wanted me to do it again, which I do think is kind of hilarious because they wanted a bigger orgasm for the advert that they'd show in the Netherlands because, you know, apparently the Dutch, they have bigger (laughs) orgasms. So I did think it was quite funny, but then I realised, looking at round two, looking out at the faces of these revolting ad executives, there wasn't a woman there, it was their lunch hour, and you suddenly realised that you were this disgusting entertainment for lunchtime. Um, I just said I wouldn't do it, you know, and then there was a whole chorus of, ooh, you know, everybody else, everybody else would do it, everybody else will do that. And then, of course, the casting director called my agent and was like, yeah, she was very difficult. She was very difficult in the, in the audition. So the word difficult for women, I never believe it ever no. until I've met someone. Um, it's just standing your ground half the time. Yeah, it is. And also just saying no. And you don't have to <laughs> yeah. say no in an, in, an, in an angry, shrill way. The idea of difficult is like that a woman, you know, has to throw a flower pot across a room and just miss a man's head as she's screaming no, rather than, you know, no, this feels, this feels weird. You know, I prefer not to do this. It is odd how women are metabolized and that other women agree with that. You know, we, we've all agreed. We don't want to be the one to step up and go, this is wrong, because then you don't get the work. Like, in, certainly in my industry, and it isn't until everybody bands together. It's very grapes of wrath. It's very much if one person says that they'll work for 20 cents a day. I guess it's maybe the idea of a union, isn't it? You have to all band together and say no. That's the trouble, isn't it? It's like the creative industries. Even now when I think a lot of things that we used to kind of put up with or feel like we had to put up with or be branded difficult or whatever, I don't think they would happen in the same way. But there is... There's that sense that there's still, oh, there's someone who will do it. If you won't do it for 20 cents, someone else will. 100%. And I wish I could say that it was was only men that I'd noticed underwriting that particular kind of behaviour. But there are so many women I've come across as well who, and you understand it's because they fought to be a man, certainly in my industry, and so they behave like men. And the women have actually oftentimes been worse in terms of their spreading that narrative or keeping that narrative going. Largely, I think it's just because they themselves have been traumatized and it's this, what is it? What's it called? It's epigenetic. It's like these these traits that are passed down. They're not actually genes, but they are behaviors. Mm. 
that are sort of in one's DNA and are passed down. And I see so many women, particularly of a certain age, who kind of performatively act as if we're in a sorority, but actually they really just want to sort of side with the male by view, which is, I just want to be invited to the table. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is there's a sense, and I definitely think in, in women our, our age and older, certainly, we were almost trained when you're starting out in your career, in my case, late 80s, early 90s, to be grateful that you were allowed to be at the table. Yeah. So, you know, don't rock the table. And if you're expected to get the tea, don't complain because you're lucky to be there. Yeah, I didn't know that, that you could really say, this doesn't seem right. You know, Harvey Weinstein wanting you to sit on his lap. I didn't think that was wrong. I thought that's just what you did. That's just what it was. Or watching other girls do that. Like, if you want to have this career, you must do these things. And I think it's so much to do with education and young women. And I, I see that the wonderful thing is seeing that happening more now, where young women and girls are being educated to say no. And this is what consent looks like. And however much the kind of the naysayers of political correctness and the eye rolling, you know, how annoying this all is, these kids are fundamentally feeling what the difference between right and wrong. And like, I watch my son, who's 13, who'd never for an instant assume that one of his classmates, who's either non-binary or a girl, has any less of a right to have an opinion or, you know, and in the same way, they're just as annoying and just as... You know, it is equal. I, I'm watching this equality unfold in his life and that makes me feel vindicated and glad. Have you felt a pressure bringing up a, a boy into teenagehood to, you know, a responsibility to make him a good man, I suppose? Nah, I just loved him. I mean, obviously I've thought about that, but I also know that that is about love and communication. And I think all of those men who behave so revoltingly towards women, I genuinely think that they weren't loved and communicated with. So, I mean, that's obviously, it's just like my own personal experience. The one rule I always had with Henry was whatever I thought about his reaction to something, I needed to listen to what his reaction was because it was his. If there was something traumatic going on, if he was crying, I needed to kind of listen to his story and acknowledge it and sometimes not try and fix it. Your natural instinct is to try and fix yeah, everything for your kids. Totally. But like, I think being heard and being acknowledged, I think that's what builds a person who can then actually listen to themselves and, and actually pay attention to the guidance system that they have inside them and would then know when they're behaving in a dreadful way, they have a kind of emotional auditing inside them that goes, yeah, this is fucked up. This is bullying or this is this or this is... so." I do. I think it begins with, with loving and communicating and listening and paying attention, whether you're a boy or a girl. But um, yeah, Henry's a good man. Yeah, I listened to him on your podcast. He's mind-blowing. <laughs> he's a funny cat. Like, I mean, wow. That's he's incredible. a good... But I think he's also the product, remember, of like a single mum. I think I got a nanny when he was nine months old because I just I had to work. Like I didn't have any income. And she is one of the most amazing women. You know, she's from El Salvador and... She is the kindest, surest, most confident, loving person and very solid boundaries, which I think I didn't have growing up. So she taught me boundaries and together, you know, it was just us. So I think Henry, consequently, he's very articulate and he, he knows what he thinks because he was really given the space to do that. And there wasn't any fighting around him. There was no conjecture. There was no like, we should raise him like this or we should do that or having to be something for a dad or having to be this thing for a mum. I think he kind of... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just came in like that as well. He's just a good bloke. <laughs> 
Do you think the way that you grew up, did that affect the way that you've brought Henry up? Yeah, it did in really positive ways, particularly the stuff that was was not going to be repeated, like the things that were really difficult, which I think was a lot to do with like my emotionality was pretty off the charts when I was a kid. And I think my parents just had no idea how to deal with a very emotionally articulate kid. But like I said, with all the love in the world to my parents, because they just fantastic and as flawed as the rest of us. Also that generation, you know, my dad was born in 1921. My mother was born in 1937. Like sitting down and patiently listening to children was like not part of the remit. But I think I just listened more to Henry. But all the adventure and all of the bravery and all of the work ethic that both my parents had and the absolute curiosity and interest in life and that stop complaining and get on with it and explore a bit further. Like, you know, if you don't like the way that it's looking, see what you can change, accept what you can't and just get on with it. Like that is so helpful and great. And I definitely, I, I hope I'm passing on the best of the things that my parents gave me and, you know, maybe modifying the things that were more difficult. Yeah, there's a thing your dad said to you when you were at drama school or leaving drama school. And he said, you've got to keep the intention clear, but stay out of how it manifests. Yeah, That's yeah. such a brilliant thing. It just made me think, oh, wow. I think he got that from a self-help book that I made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's true. I think it's true for now. I mean, I struggle with that every day. I think about it's why I put it in the book. It's like, you know, so I can look at it and go, fuck, he was absolutely right. Like still, like query and go, why is this thing not showing up? And it's like, well, perhaps it is, but just in a different way. And perhaps you just need to be a bit patient and stop insisting that it needs to look a particular way to qualify your happiness. You know, get off that idea of conditionality and expectation. I think a lot of it is to do, isn't it, with that the time frame that's almost imposed on us from, I don't know, it feels like life imposes it, but the media and all kinds of things like things you should have done by the time you're 30 and things you should yeah. have done by the time you're 40. And it, so it kind of injects dissatisfaction, if you like. It's 100%. Like, oh, I haven't, met, I haven't met that deadline. Yeah. I've become recently obsessed with that idea. And I wish I, I should have made a list to kind of be able to reel it off. But that idea of things to do before you're 30 and, you know, why people get married and why we have children and jobs and money and mortgages and all these things that are basically us just wandering humans trying to create signposts in a temporal reality that fucking ends. I mean, watching my mother die, that extraordinary level of life that incredible intellectual acuity and light that she was to watch it just go out. I've been in shock ever since going, what, like, what are we, what are we doing? Like paying attention to all of the, you know, the kind of the magazine headline things of how we should be living our lives. You realize it's all just trying to create sense out of something that we do not understand, but putting those expectations on ourselves definitely makes the journey harder. And if one, I think could remove all notions of need Reading signposts of if I haven't done this by this time, I'm a failure. I must do this. This must have been achieved. But rather go, this is the journey. I wake up every day and I look at the sky and the birds and the trees, keeping it very, very simple. I genuinely think that's all there is. <laughs> I really do. I think all the other stuff is just mind created and it's it's mostly torture. <laughs> yeah, it's self-torture. Well, it's like even the notion of ambition, it's the kind of way of creating targets for yourself and either not meeting them 
and beating yourself up or meeting them and immediately creating another one. And that's exactly it. Like there is no there there. There is no. And I genuinely don't mean this to sound dark. I actually think it's incredibly hopeful. The only there that is there is death in terms of like being a human. And we, we don't even know that that is what we would in a human way call an end. It is the end of something. You know, there's so much evidence that nothing really ends in this energetic universe. It's constantly recycling. But I think we make it so much harder for ourselves. But I also think that's because we're constantly trying to distract ourselves from this ultimate idea that there potentially isn't an actual meaning to this life. (laughs) I don't think there is. I think meaning is assigned. I think everybody assigns meaning to make themselves feel better about the fact that they're going to die. And I don't think that's a depressing idea. I actually think it's incredibly galvanizing. And I don't know, I feel like it should encourage us to be be where you are and like whatever that looks like and just enjoy as much of it as possible, as much of the whole temporal landscape. Because who knows what there is beyond that, but we're never going to know until we're there. So, but yeah, the expectations, I think that's why I called the book Managing Expectations was because it was deeply ironic for me. Like, All these expectations that we put on ourselves that are put on us by other people are just, you know, an added weight into what is already, you know, a complicated journey because we don't know why we're here. (laughs) I don't think, I don't know that there's a reason. No, I think we have to believe there's a why because it's kind of too scary to think that there might not be, that it might, there might not be a great big point to it. I think, but isn't it also really emancipating to go, well, all right, so let's just, let's just say that there isn't a great big point, that there isn't a great big meaning to this life. If that were true, so if somebody came down and went, there is irrefutable evidence that there is no meaning to life, what would you do? You'd still, you'd still be breathing. You'd still be in your life hopefully surrounded by a few people that you love like doing things that you enjoyed or I mean I I wonder if it would just take the pressure off and if one could go perhaps it's about just being in the isness you know the is of like of of being and not not worrying so much about if I don't reach if I don't get that bonus and make this amount of money by this time, I am a failure. I mean, the narratives that we tell ourselves, if I'm not married, like that was a big one for me. It felt like an utter failure through most of my life for not being married. And I'm finally with a man who categorically will not get married because he says he doesn't want to be in a thruple with any kind of government institution, which I think is <laughs> hilarious, completely hilarious. He sounds great. Yeah, he's really good, actually. He's brilliant and has been through so much in his life personally for him to be in a place where he really does. He is the best I've ever seen at just getting up in the morning. And even when everything is falling in and is for shit, he rolls up his sleeves. And I I think that's just such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful talent. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because you come from, it sounds like you come from a family of doers and you are a doer and you found a doer. Yes, but I subscribe to failure and he doesn't. He just doesn't. And I intellectually do not believe that it's true. I believe every single thing is good and is okay and is unfolding into something else. And yet I am felled by things not working out. I mean, really, really, it's, what is it they say, you know, you teach best what you need to learn yourself. I mean, maybe that's why I wrote a whole book about how shit not working out is other stuff working out. And I have this evidence in my own life. And yet I'm still here going, this really feels like it's not working. (laughs) It's so funny, isn't it? The way that we judge ourselves, because from outside, 
your life doesn't look like there was loads of shit. I mean, I know because I've read the book that there was lots of shit that didn't work. But from outside, everybody's lives from outside, you only see the things that have worked. You don't see many driver who has felt like a failure because she hasn't married her whole life. You see many drivers no, had 50 or, roles, you know. Or just getting, you know, whatever it is of just being, you know, rejected. Like I... I just got fired off a film recently. They pursued me really hard to be in this film. The deal was done. And then the woman who is the, the lead of the of the movie, she just decided that she wanted her friend to be in my part. And I'm not kidding. It got to the point where it's like, well, you can sue them and you'll win and get the fee that you were promised. And there's an inked deal here in front of you. But for me, it's like, well, I have to then go through the absolute horror of litigation, which will suck the soul right out of your body. And brain but I'm sitting there going this is so unfair and this is so fucked up and there's actually nothing I can do about it but you know you don't put that on Instagram you don't you don't put a weepy video going this fucking cow she begged me to be in this film and then she fired me you know like you don't you don't do that so you never see the whole story it's why I suppose you always kind to everyone shrieking in a supermarket or you know honking their horn like you know know what everyone's going through everyone's just having their own shitty day how did that feel compared to all the different experiences of that that you've written about in the book now you're in your early 50s was it more water off a Oh my God, I wish. Ultimately, yes. Here's the thing, because I've done a lot of work around this, just, you know, therapy wise and really thinking about it and then writing about it. It didn't take long, but it felled me. It felled me that there was a female producer as well and this actor that women would throw women under the bus, that they wouldn't honour an agreement. And that felt terrible. But it was my other women who came in and were like, it's not so much a reflection on you, it really is sort of a reflection on the paucity of those people. And you can't stop for that. And I think it was about a week of me just feeling just incredibly disposable and awful and sad on a lot of levels that I was disposable and also that women are still treating women as badly as we say men have been treating us. And it's just like that felt full of hypocrisy. But then it was done. But then it was like all the other stuff kicks in. And I guess that's maybe what it is. You hope that all those books you've read, maybe a book that you've written, therapy, things kick in and go, you know what, if I just lie down and feel bad about this, then it just does nothing. I'm just wasting more of this this sort of precious life. So I throw it off and then I'm going to use it. I'm definitely going to use it. There's definitely something great to be written, not in a not in a vengeful way, but also definitely in a vengeful way. But to, <laughs> totally. to, to, to brilliant, to use it as fuel, to examine stuff, to kind of offer that up. Like it feels, my mama always used to say that. She was like, take that shit, like take it and you turn it into something else. Like there is always alchemy possible. But I definitely get hung up on it's not fair and how could it possibly be and how do they get away with it like I have a massively vengeful aspect to me but it's such a big part of my psyche it actually acts like an alarm bell for me now that I know when I'm feeling that way nothing good is going to happen if I carry on listening to that but there's probably a way of using it and turning it into something else which is what I will definitely do
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yeah. It's like that Carrie Fisher quote, isn't it? The brilliant one about drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's exactly right. That's what resentment is. It's its own reward being a shit. Being awful to people is its own reward. It may look like it's not, but it, it really is. And I think you're lucky if you know that you've done something awful and you can go and make amends. You're very fortunate. If you do terrible things or mean things to people and you don't, I think it's a terrible way to live and is a punishment of its own, reflectively. And again, Dad and everybody else has always said it. the best revenge is just to go and be happy. Just go be happy and, and explore and, and look elsewhere. Relatively speaking, you've kind of done Hollywood your way, which is a pretty amazing thing to have pulled off, I think, at the time you were there. Yeah, it was amazing. It's very difficult to maintain. I mean, this is a bit of a marathon at this point. I mean, kind of I'm 30 years in and I'm still going, Christ, where is the next job coming from? And how am I going to pay the mortgage and what's going to happen? But as my mother said, well, that sort of thing keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is true. But has that got worse or better? Was it always like that, really? Where's the next job coming from? It's always like that. Any actor, you know, Every actor's going, you know, is that my last job? Like, I don't care what anybody says. It is worse for women. It is much harder for women. Even though we're in this great age of that being less true, it is still really challenging, more challenging for women. And there is a massive pay gap still, you know, not just in my industry, but obviously everywhere. It's just bollocks, isn't it? It is just fucking bollocks. It's just (laughs) completely absurd, like how anyone can justify it. I'm astonished. I loved all those DJs. I loved that whole expose at the BBC. It was so satisfying. Mm. It's just shocking, isn't it? It's just shocking that anyone could just go, yes, yes, this is how it's always been. We're not going to change any of that. In your industry, particularly, there's absolutely no move to change it, is there? Because they just go, (laughs) oh, box office, blah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They use numbers and metrics to shore up the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a few actresses. You've got your brilliant Scarlett Johansson's who are just the vanguards of, nope, that is not how it's going to work. But there's there's only one Scarlett Johansson. There's very few actresses who can do what she does in terms of wielding power financially. But, you know, it's hard to talk about this stuff because you, you're still earning, you're earning really good money. It's just when you look at it relative to what a studio is making or a streaming service is making or what the dude is making, it is awful. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like the straight comparison with the dude, isn't it? I think it's just that, really. It's kind of like, if it were equal, if it were equal, we would feel that there was at least something evolving. How do you look a little girl in the eye and go, you are worth as much as your male counterpart, and then in the same breath go, but you are going to make significantly less than him, even though you will do the same job that he does and perhaps even have a better degree. I mean, it's it's awful. Yeah, it's beyond grim. And then you throw in the aging, the inequality around aging. It's like, are there less parts? I mean, like you say, it does seem from outside, it looks like it's going better. Yeah, it's still, you know, it's wildly, she's always been wildly competitive. There are more roles for older women, but you're right. It's very much kind of like there's a handful of women for whom that is true consistently. I think with the advent of just there being so much more content, because there's so many more platforms now of streaming and of places for there to be television you know it is better it is slightly better I mean have you felt I'm not quite sure how to put it discouraged to age in the kind of Hollywood landscape you know what I mean I do I do I do yes but I also go it's absurd it's like (laughs) what other what other culture like I don't know how we lost this idea of of women being less interesting as they get older you know, and less worthwhile. When for time immemorial, that wisdom has been celebrated, that observance, that having just been alive longer. But, you know, Hollywood has always, Hollywood loves youth. And and rightly, you know, like youth is beautiful to, to see and it's wonderful and it's new and it's great. But I do feel like there should be room for the celebration of kind of all these stages of life, particularly as there really seem to be that for dudes. You know, I mean, I don't mind looking at the totally creased version of Brad Pitt. I love Brad (laughs) Pitt in Meet Joe Black. I love Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So why should that not be true for for the girls? Exactly. I mean, like, I'll take Keanu, any version of Keanu, frankly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It is strange how how we are encouraged to and allowed to love men as they age. But women, you know, you either do too much plastic surgery and you look bananas or you don't do any and you look older or you look your age or you, you've gained a bit of weight or you've lost. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I try and stay out of it. I really just try and kind of just believe that work will come. It might be sparing, but it will be good and interesting stuff. And I'm just going to keep making stuff. Like, that's also the thing. If you only ever put your stake in being an actor and being famous and being venerated for being pretty, like, I think you're probably going to be in trouble because nobody stays like that. You know, doing other things. Like, I always knew I was going to write stuff. I've always played music. I'd hope to have a child. I want to direct. I want to keep making things because I'm an artist and like that is what artists do. You make stuff and you put that out into the world. Like, that's clearly my job in this life. So aging's not going to stop me doing that. And I do think you find people who help underwrite your passions and your love. I think that speaks volumes. But there are some days where you give up and go, oh my God, this is so hopeless. I've got all these lines around my mouth and, you know, my boobs aren't where they used to be. But you can't stay feeling bad about that stuff because there's really nothing you can do. I don't want to end up looking like totally weird from having had tons of plastic surgery. I mean, I'd like to look a bit younger, but I'm not, you know... (laughs) So would everyone. Yeah, and it's a bit like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, isn't it? I know. So the obsession with the way that women look and like how that is connected to their worth 
Maybe it's just because we were, you know, we were assigned as chattel. Like, again, there is just this historical precedence of you were worth more, like, the more beautiful you looked. That idea of a woman's worth is so tied in with how she looks. And I, I hope that we're debunking that. I hope that it is changing. But I mean, it's, it's pretty entrenched. I get more comments about that. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're 52. Oh, my God, what's that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, what's that? What's that? And I get it. Like, it's nice to look nice. Like, I'm not saying saying one shouldn't but it goes in and that is how women and girls end up feeling that their worth is is wholly to do with how they look and that what's inside and what they have to offer is somehow less than so I think we just have to keep insisting that these other things are the premium you know a brilliant mind a quick mind a kind heart uh, an innovative idea you're 52 now how are you feeling about 50s I mean it's pretty fucking great it's pretty great. The number is, is really big. Like, because 52 when I was a kid, it's like, that really felt like 100. I mean, I really did. I can't actually believe that this much life is done. It's, mm. it's weird. And my mama always used to say that, you know, she was like, it's just the weirdest thing because you don't age on the inside. Like, you don't feel that number. You still feel as vital and as new as... I feel like I'm permanently really where I think I am is around 28, 29. Like that's how I feel. I still do all the same stuff physically that I did then. Like I still surf, I surf, I dance, I run, I do yoga, I do all the physical stuff. And I mean, I do have to take care of myself a bit better, I guess, but I didn't take care of myself very well when I was 29. So, but yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough, just the external, like the number of it. And also I feel like time's running out. Like I, I wake up every day feeling like there just isn't enough time. There's so much that I've got to do and I've got to get it done. But I also know that's because I just lost my mum, you know. Yeah. And she wasn't done. She was 84 and she was not done. Like, she just started a new business. Like, she was she was in her prime, as far as I could see. Oh, man. Um, she just started a business. Oh. Another one, you know. She's just, she was, she was pretty amazing, you know. And she was very healthy right up until the day she died. It was, you know, that, I guess that's the way to go, though, right? Just live a super yeah. healthy life and then just lights out. Yeah, I guess so. Tough, though, for you and your sister and family yeah it was brutal it was brutal she was also such a great advert for getting old getting older because it didn't slow her down in the slightest you know a bit you're a bit creaky you have to kind of take that into account but I just don't feel like there's any time to waste now you're a big swimmer aren't you yeah I'm a big swimmer I'm actually going to go for a swim now and it's really cold and I'm quite scared um, uh, you like the cold really though don't you I do. It clears your head. It smacks you around and really just is like, be here now. Just, you have to focus on your breath. You feel like how incredible your body is of like what it's doing and how hard your heart is working. Like it's really, it's where I've, apart from when I'm with Henry and Addison laughing, it's where I feel most alive. As a kind of a fellow big hair person, I need to ask you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the swimming big hair equation? What are your tips? A lot of coconut oil, a lot of stuff to put on your hair before I go swimming, but there's no way around it. It's like, it makes your hair go mental and look crazy. And But I do believe in a lot of natural, of sort of coconut oil and avocado and all that stuff, packing that on, like you basically got a big salad on your head. I'll sit around with that. But I could not swim because of my hair. 
I love the way you described it because I am also a fellow person whose hair grows out, not down and doubles in size, you know, Mm -hmm. a sniff of humidity. But when you said it was an expressive and independent character, I just thought, oh my God, you know, it's like growing up with that hair. Growing up with that hair with no, there really was no intervention. You know, I couldn't blow dry it myself. Like I couldn't do that. Like I was too little, particularly, like I just couldn't do it. There was nothing like now, if I didn't put products in, I mean, if I don't put stuff in my hair after I get out of the shower, like, it's insane. Like, it's not, you know, it, it really is. Like, I don't know how, I mean, I do know how I did it. It was awful. I just had this giant puff, enormous, curly puff of hair, always, that I know if I'd had a few more products, I could have at least tamed it or shaped it. But the problem is I also wanted to hide behind my hair because I had such a kind of big face. And big hair only makes your face look big. I mean, the whole thing was just super awkward but I think maybe it's fine I love my hair now you know I've always loved it actually after I got through the teen stuff yeah once it was that the kind of point that you stopped either stopped fighting it or maybe grew into it I think that was I think grew into it and then I when you start working and you work with all these different hairdressers who are like oh yeah no try this or when I do this this is what you have to do or you know if you just tie it in a braid at night it won't be so insane in the morning and like that was a revelation I got loads of really good tips from the pros that that changed a lot yeah but sure yeah. thing I see my son my son has the same hair as me and it's just like this giant rat's nest on his head and I'm always encouraging him towards some conditioner but you can't yeah he's gonna find his way with it (laughs) yeah he'll do his thing yeah I just want to ask you before I go to the questions that I always ask where are you at in terms of menopause you know we're very late menopauses in my family it hasn't like I, I still get my period like, well, so oh, I'm really? not in, not as regularly as I did. So it definitely perimenopausal. But yeah, it hasn't, hasn't kicked in yet. So you haven't had to do the kind of to HRT or not to HRT? I've enough. definitely had those conversations, done a lot of research. And, you know, of course, once again, women would be absolutely fucked by the thing that will make you feel better might also give you cancer. But on balance and from the doctors that I've spoken to, just that's the way to go, it seems to me. All my yeah. friends, that's the way to go. So I don't know kind of got a plan I guess I think you sound like you're a bit better informed than a, a lot of people or well, certainly than I was I mean I was just a bit like what the hell is this I really wanted to do a lot of research because I was I was having massive mood swings but I realized genuinely that was grief and I wasn't sleeping it was all grief and I just went and did all I did all the research and did all the tests and I talked to a lot of different doctors both naturopaths and conventional and it's really interesting obviously every woman is different I am for a woman feeling better and yeah. if that means you have okay. to get screened more frequently for breast cancer, so be it. Do that. Be constantly doing breast exams. Do your mammogram every... I mean, I don't know. Like, it's different for every woman, but I just want women to feel better and not suffer. Totally. Okay, questions that I always ask. What's your emotional age? Well, I mean, I was a bit of a mess emotionally at 29, actually. I am the emotional age of my age. I am. Emotion is my currency as an actor and as a human. So it's grown with me. There are certain parts that I think will always be in arrested development. There are always bits of insecurity and of not being heard that will be stunted. And I just made my peace with that. But I think emotionally, I'm pretty, I'm pretty where I'm at. But I do cry a lot. I don't know what that means. You've always been a crier. 
Yeah, love a good cry. Good feels good. I think can be distressing for the people around you. I try to go and do it underwater, (laughs) um, which is good. But it does it does make you feel better. It's exhausting, but it does make you feel better. Give us a book recommendation. It can be something that you read really recently that you loved, or something that's had a long impact on you. Yeah, no, I'm obsessed with this book by Saba Sams. Send nudes. I'm so interested in young women's voices, like. I really, really am anthropologically just to see like what has evolved and what isn't and also where they're at. And she has this beautiful, unaffected, surgical voice. It's it's just brilliant. That's bumped that right up my pile. Yeah, I think it's pretty good just to go in and go, who's young and what's what's up? And good independent booksellers will tell you. What advice would you give younger women? don't take any shit just don't just don't feel like you have to and yeah speak up there might be reprisals but speak up anyway and you know there are always allies like look for allies like don't feel that you're alone I always felt like I was so alone in speaking up and I I wish that there had been people that I banded together with or found older people like find older people to talk to that's also really good have find mentors find allies in mentorship Who's your old bird role model? I don't really know that I should call her an old bird, but I'm crazy about Christiane Amanpour. I just had her on my podcast and I just, I just love, I love people who, who exist in something that is irrefutably hard and full of conflict. And, you know, she literally came from the revolution in the country that she was from. She grew up watching that. And yet she has, she has this breadth of like life and lightness and spirit and curiosity that is so inspiring. And there's nothing bitter or regretful about her. And I really want to be that kind of old woman myself. She's not old. She's older. She's sort of slightly older than me. No, I'm not sure, but a bit older. I really aspire to being how she is. And she's older than me. So that's, that's that'll it. do. Yeah, that'll do. What's your superpower? I'm, I'm, my superpower is I can stop babies from crying. <laughs> I really you can. Do. <laughs> I do. I don't know. I mean, I do know when I just do it. I've done it on airplanes. It is, a, it is a full-blown superpower. Even picking them up and they're screaming and reaching for their parent, if I can get them away from their parent and seeing them, I can calm a baby down. It's a mixture of jigging and singing. There's like a frequency that must have a vibration that when you sort of like, uh, you kind of, maybe you're sort of, maybe you hit this frequency that those Tibetan monks hit. You know, it just makes you feel good. And then rubbing and patting. But yeah, I can stop babies crying. It's extraordinary. Is that a post-Tenry superpower or is that a lifelong superpower? I don't think I'd really noticed it until, until I had Henry. It's really fun. It's It's amazing superpower to have. I know. Definitely unique. (laughs) Definitely never had that one before. And lastly, how many fucks do you give? Oh, fuck. It's so weird because it's like on one level, I don't give a single fuck. And on another level, I do. Like, I don't give a fuck that this awful actress and her awful female producer, both of whom are very famous actors and women, did this thing. And then the other part of me is like, what the fuck do I care about about that? There's so much else to be getting on with. So fundamentally, I don't really. And I would encourage anyone not to. And then there are secret moments where I do. So maybe I give like one fuck. 
you do give some fucks, much less than I think, you know, my mother's generation. Women used to have to, otherwise terrible things would happen to you. Not now? Mm, I think much less. I don't know. I don't feel like I've really been penalized for not getting married. I think I've actually been saved. (laughs) I really do. The amount of my friends who are either divorced or on marriage two or three. I never really wanted to be married a bunch. I just wanted to be married to one person, but they never showed up. And that's okay. I think if they don't show up, better not to keep trying duds. Yeah. And I do think it's like, no, be in a marriage with someone. I'm in a marriage with Addison. Like we're in a partnership, but we're not married. You know, that is an institutional contract that one can can avoid. But it was definitely drummed into me that it was an important thing to be. So I did carry that for a long time. The idea of being chosen, I think. But fuck that, you know, choose yourself. Exactly. You know, wear a big dress whenever you fancy. Buy yourself a rock. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Buy yourself a ring. Oh, thank yeah. you, Minnie. Right. I loved talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash The Shift. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>